It's time to screw the norms. To fit in, we often hide what's on our minds, who we really are, or who we want to be, or even what we want to do. But now you're having the right conversations. Here, we'll talk about sex, relationships, and mental health, and how they interact with each other and so many other aspects of life. Shame can't survive when we're honest and curious with each other and ourselves. It's time for your mind to scream less and for you to screw more. I'm Rachel Wright, a non-monogamous queer psychotherapist and your host. You've probably figured this out by yourself by now, but if you own a vulva, did you know that there is a three in five chance that having penetrative sex doesn't result in an orgasm? Enter Zumio. <laughs> Zumio is a one-of-a-kind toy with the sole purpose of providing a unique, stimulating experience. And guess what? It doesn't even vibrate. It rotates with a concentrated pinpoint energy that allows you to control how and where you use it. There are four different models specifically designed for your personal intensity preferences. And Zumio is great for vulva mapping and exploring the rest of your body, whether that is solo or with a partner. Check out www.myzumio.com Rachel. That's R-A-C-H-E-L for a special discount for the Right Conversations listeners and take control of your orgasms today. Just a quick content warning. This episode does contain mentions of depression, suicide, drug use, and other challenging mental health issues. Hello, friends, and welcome. Welcome back. Today is episode eight of The Right Conversations. And today's episode, it's a solo episode. And today we're having a conversation about depression and ketamine, and specifically my journey with depression and ketamine. Um, you know, as a therapist, it's really interesting. There, I have received so many different responses uh, on the spectrum of, I love how much you share, and then how dare you share this much about your own mental health as a mental health professional. And, you know, what? <laughs> one of the things that feels good to share for me, and that's it. You know, it, it's, there are plenty of doctors who get sick, and they treat sickness and illness. And so to me, there's nothing different about a therapist, a mental health therapist talking about their mental health. If anything, you know, it's helpful for me when I'm a client of a therapist, I personally like to know if my therapist has ever navigated their own mental health stuff. And that doesn't make them a better or worse clinician. It doesn't mean that they can help me more or help me less. It's all personal preference. So if you're someone who's like, cool, Rach, yeah, I love learning from you, but like wouldn't want you as my therapist because I know so much about you from what you share online. That's totally cool. That's frankly part of why I created a team of other humans that are amazing and that you can work with. Um, but then there are some people out there who really appreciate it and want that and want to understand 
their background of their therapist. And so based on all of the different questions that I've received over the last almost year or so about my depression and then ketamine, I thought it would be good to do an episode on it and talk about it. So first and foremost, I just want to state that nothing in this episode is medical advice. Absolutely nothing. It is not therapy advice. It is not psychotherapeutic advice. It is not medical advice. Today, I'm talking to you as a human. I am talking to you not as a therapist or an expert on something, but literally as a human and my experience with depression and then getting ketamine treatments. I want to quickly interrupt this episode to talk about my latest project with Best Self Co. If you don't already know, Best Self Co. is a brand with a range of simple yet meaningful tools that help people achieve their goals, be more productive, and create positive change in their life. I've had the pleasure of working with Best Self Co. on a few projects, the latest being their brand new Intimacy After Dark deck. This 150-card conversation deck is a tool for talking about and exploring sex to bring more connected intimacy into your life. The deck was designed with all relationship structures in mind and includes a conversation framework adapted and approved by me that guides you through consensual and comfortable conversations about sex. Best Self was so kind to provide a code to my listeners so that you can get your hands all over the Intimacy After Dark deck before it's gone. Use the code RACHEL, R-A-C-H-E-L, during checkout at bestself.co and get 30% off the new Intimacy After Dark deck. That's bestself.co and code RACHEL for 30% off the new After Dark deck. I want to thank Best Self Co. for being one of today's podcast sponsors. Now, back to our conversation. Let's rewind the clock a little bit and go back to when I was first diagnosed with depression. I was 19 years old and I had had a couple of panic attacks. And because of those panic attacks, I wound up staying inside a lot. I was very, very afraid to go anywhere because I was afraid that I would have a panic attack. And, you know, at 19, going to like a frat party in college and having a panic attack, it's really scary. You know, everyone's drinking and like trying different drugs. And I was too nervous to do any of those things, but I didn't have anyone that I knew would be sober. You know, my my very, very best friend at the time, had a very long-term, like from high school, uh, boyfriend. And so sometimes she was there, sometimes she wasn't. And so once these panic attacks started happening, I started staying home a lot and frankly, working a lot. I was putting myself through school. So I was working as a server at Chili's at the time. Um, and I was taking as many classes as I could in school. So I kept myself very, very, very busy in an attempt to not Uh, feel icky about not going outside. And then my college boyfriend and I broke up and things just kind of came to a head for me. I was not going out. I was not enjoying myself. I was very sad about this breakup. It was one of the worst. uh, it, It was awful. Like even talking about it now, my chest gets a little tight and my, my eyes water a little bit. Um, 
uh, he was a very, very special person to me. Um, I won't share any more about that just for, for his privacy. Um, but it was a very complicated relationship and frankly got more complicated after we broke up. But if you ever happen to be listening to this, just know that I will love you forever and ever. Um, okay. Anyway, whoo. So having panic attacks, staying in all of the staying in and all of the coping with the extra work and the extra school and the extra this, and then also losing this person in my life, um, in a very, very significant way, I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder. And, you know, at that time, I was just starting to study psychology. I was in my second year of college. So I was applying into the major. It was such a um, impacted major was the term that they used. Wow, I haven't said that for a long time. It was such an impacted major that you had to do some uh, general ed classes and then actually apply to be in it. And so I applied to be in as a psych major and it was wonderful, but I didn't really learn about depression yet. You know, I, I didn't have much education in mental health at the time. I had taken a couple psychology classes, but nothing substantial. And so I was diagnosed and I, I felt both validated and really sad. And I remember thinking, I hope that getting this diagnosis can help me feel like myself again. And so I started taking Lexapro, which is an SSRI um, that my psychiatrist at the time prescribed. It was super low in milligrams. I think we started at 10 and went up to 15 or 20. And I was on Lexapro for mm, about six years. Yeah, about six or seven years. And from about 19 and a half or 20 until 25 and a half or 26, I think I'm getting these ages right. I was really okay. Um, my panic disorder and anxiety was definitely still present. And a lot of that was like the rewiring that happened. But most of the anxiety and panic actually came from, and this could be a whole other episode, um, actually came from really shoving down who I was. I was trying to figure out like, what genders do I like? Um, what type of relationships do I want to be in? And I didn't have any of the language that I do now to describe all of this. So I was very anxious. And frankly, looking back on it, these panic attacks would come up when I was not able to be myself fully and safely, whether that was a perception of safety or a reality of safety. It was, I don't feel comfortable or safe to be my full self. And then I would get anxious and panic. Cool, huh? Yeah, fun. So the depression got better, the anxiety and uh, panic stayed. And then kind of out of the blue, uh, right after, not right after, but like shortly after Kyle and I got married. So near the end of 2016, uh, I started to feel depressed and I immediately knew I was like, this is exactly how I felt when I was 19 years old. And I looked at Kyle and I said, honey, I, I don't feel well. And I think my depression might be coming back. And he's like, okay, like, what do we need to do? 
So I was not living in the same place I was then than I was when I was 19 years old. So I asked around to my therapist network because by this point I was practicing and somebody gave me a referral to an incredible psychiatrist in the Bay Area. And this psychiatrist switched me from Lexapro to Effexor. The Honey Pot is more than the products in your bathroom cabinet. It's embracing that time of the month. It's staying balanced through the ups and downs, good sex and bad sex. It's exploring, it's learning, it's plant-derived. Powered by herbs and science, the first complete personal care system to get you what you need when you need it. Check out The Honey Pot at Target, Walmart, Walgreens, and on thehoneypot.co. You can enter code RACHEL20, that's R-A-C-H-E-L-2-0, for 20% off your first Honey Pot order on thehoneypot.co. If you are unfamiliar with psychotropic medications, Effexor is a very, it is a very intense drug. It is hard to get on and it is hard to get off. And it is an amazing drug. So I switched to Effexor and while I was doing this medication switch, Kyle and I thought it would be just the best time ever to move from <laughs> the Bay Area to Denver. So I started this on-ramp, this off-ramp of Lexapro and the on-ramp of Effexor, and I was a hot fucking mess. I was so disoriented. I was having like jaw clenching and brain zaps. And I remember we were driving from the Bay Area to Denver. And at one point I looked at Kyle and I started freaking out asking where we were. I was so disoriented. And my psychiatrist at the time didn't give me this heads up that it would be this intense. And so then I got really anxious because I was scared about how I was feeling and then a panic. And as you can see, it was just a fucking mess. It was like a circular shit show of mental health symptoms. And it sucked. It absolutely sucked. And once my body and brain adjusted to the effectsor, I felt phenomenal. So about two months in to being in Denver, maybe a month, month and a half, um, I found a new therapist. My medicine was kicking in and I felt so good. We lived in Denver for 2017 and a, and a bit of 2018. And then we decided to move to New York. I had wanted to live in New York my entire life. I had always felt home in New York. And frankly, it was one of the only places where I had not experienced shitty mental health. <laughs> so I really associated it with um, something about it gave me so much energy and just filled me up. So we moved to New York. Everything is going super well. We lived in a sublet in Washington Heights. We loved it. We lived with my brother. It was amazing. Then we moved to Brooklyn with my brother and then his girlfriend, partner, um, and I was still doing great. It was wonderful. And then COVID hit. And now upon reflection, <laughs> I can see the same pattern that happened when I was 19. COVID hit and at the beginning I was fine. It was like, okay, this is two weeks. Like I can handle two weeks of not going outside. And then the longer and longer and longer and longer it went, it started to build up. 
and I poured myself into work. Part of which was a necessity and part of which was possibly a bit unhealthy coping. Now, luckily, the very beginning of COVID was when Kyle and I met Yair and Ashley. So there was this like really happy, wonderful cup and heart filling relationship that was growing. And we were all living through a pandemic and it was terrifying. We didn't know when it was going to end. We didn't know if we were going to like die in a week. I mean, it, it was really scary. New York was so impacted. We had no tests. There were no, you know, I had it in March I, of 2020. I had COVID and there was no way to go get a test. I only know that I had it because later on I got tested for antibodies and we thought I had it, but literally couldn't leave the house to go get a test. So anyway, time marches on. Things are, you know, continuing to be what they were. I'm pouring myself into work. And then my dad got sick. And he was actually admitted into the hospital with COVID um, in en either end of October or around November, in November 2020. And I was not okay. <laughs> but I had to be okay. At least I thought I had to be okay. Because I had clients that were also navigating this pandemic who also had parents or loved ones and loved ones that were getting sick. And I had to keep showing up. I had to keep showing up for myself, for my partners, for my brother and his partner who were, we were all living together. I had to keep showing up for my dad and his doctors that were calling me, my mom who was like living alone in a one bedroom apartment in New York and then made a cross country move back to California for a job. I mean, it was just chaos. And I, I slipped into a very icky state. My dad got better. Thank goodness. He went home and while he got better, I didn't. And my brain was stuck. My brain was stuck in a fight, flight, or freeze response. And I was still able to work, but I was not myself. I was just not my full self. So my psychiatrist, again, this is the third psychiatrist now. So my psychiatrist in New York said, okay, Rachel, here's what we're going to do. You're on Effexor. We're going to pr prescribe you a very small dosage of another antidepressant called Remeron. And this Remeron combined with the Effexor is going to really, really, really help. And it's hopefully going to even out this depression. So I started on Remeron. And, you know, about a month or so later, I started to feel a bit of relief. Uh, December was a really hard month, December of 2020. Uh, but 2021, January and February were still a little bit rough. And then I think, I think <laughs> it's all kind of blurry. Around March, I started to feel better. I started to feel like myself again. I started wanting to do things again. Uh, I was less irritable. My appetite was normal. Um, I just started to feel better. So much better, in fact, that my therapist and I decided in September of 2021 that I didn't need to be on the Effexor anymore. And so we started the long and grueling process of getting off of Effexor, which was could be a whole other podcast episode in itself. 
it, it was unbelievable, friends. Like, uh, it was so fucked. <laughs> it was so fucked. So I got off of Effexor. And then in December of 2021, I started to feel minorly depressed. Luanda Massager is a woman-founded luxury vibrator brand that brings unparalleled quality to a notoriously sketchy industry. Luanda originated as one hell of a classic wand, all the power you could want with an award-winning design to match, and has now become a full line of best-in-class, heart-pounding, hair-raising toys designed with pleasure in mind for all bodies. Take 25% off your order at lawandmassager.com using code Rachel Wright. Now, if you're like, huh, these dates, interesting. If you're thinking about the surges of COVID, specifically in New York City, my depression was almost, almost directly correlated with things being taken away. So we were supposed to go to Portugal in December with uh, Yeir's family and our family, and that got canceled. I was supposed to go speak at an event. That got canceled. And all of a sudden, it felt so similar to 2020 all over again. So by January, I realized that these symptoms were actually there to stay. They were not going away. And in fact, I was getting worse and worse. So I reached out to my psychiatrist and I was like, I don't know, did we make the wrong decision getting off of this effects or I'm not sure. And she said, no, actually, I think that we did make the right decision, but I want to start you on Wellbutrin and that should help. And for those of you who don't know what Wellbutrin is, it was originally created to be a smoking secession pill. And it's not, it's not an SSRI and it is used as an antidepressant. It's just acts on different receptors in the brain. Not the ser- it's not a serotonin reuptake inhibitor. So I start on Wellbutrin and friends, I swear to you, it felt like I was taking sugar pills. I was not getting better. I was not getting better and it got worse and it got worse and it got worse and it got worse. (sighs) And it got so bad that for a couple of weeks, I was stuck in bed. I could not get up, had no interest in doing any of the things that I love. I couldn't work, at least not well. I couldn't do anything. I was almost catatonic. It was very, very, very scary. And my psychiatrist kept saying, well, you know, like, I think we could just wait it out a little bit longer. I really think that the Wobutrin is going to kick in. And my therapist was like, yo, no, <laughs> like you're, you, you, no, 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 no. We're not waiting this out any longer. And I said, well, I don't know what to do. You know, and of course, like in this state, I'm not exactly able to like problem solve super effectively. I can't even like get up to shower. And I know that I, I'm like talking about it, you know, lightly now it's not light. Like I, 
I was having suicidal ideations. I was able to communicate those. I knew I didn't want to die, but boy, oh boy, was my brain telling me I did. It was very, very, very scary. Um, it was not a good time. So I get to this point and I remembered reading studies about ketamine for medication resistant depression, meaning that you've tried all these different medications, you've tried all these different combinations of medications. And for whatever reason, your brain is like, yeah, fuck you. No, <laughs> it's just going to keep coming back. So I emailed my psychiatrist and my therapist on one email and said, hey, how do you both feel about me looking into ketamine? They both responded with, that sounds perfect. And then my psychiatrist gave me a recommendation for a place in the city. I immediately emailed them, was on the phone with them within, I don't know, three hours for an intake to see if I was a good candidate. I was a good candidate and I cried so hard on that phone call. The moment that woman told me that not only would I feel significant relief after the very first session, that most people's suicidal ideations disappear after the first ketamine infusion, but that after the full treatment and boosters, which I'll explain shortly, that I, the science points to that I will never have a depressive episode like I did ever again. That fact, I healed over with tears of happiness. It was so scary to be stuck in a brain, to be stuck in a brain that was telling me lies, that was telling me that everyone would be happier if I just jumped out the bedroom window. It's awful. And part of depression is that you then feel like a giant burden, right? You have this perception of being a burden on other people. And yes, of course, it's hard to navigate depression with someone that you love, but you do it. Just like if they had a broken ankle, you would help them around the house or help them with what they needed. So the very next day, my partners, they alternated, started taking me to my ketamine infusion treatments. And I was really nervous. I, um, while I support other people doing whatever they want to do, um, I have never really been a big drug person. I wasn't the person in college that like tried all the drugs. Um, since then I've tried a little bit more, but I, because I run pretty anxious as previously discussed, um, the idea of feeling, you know, quote unquote out of control is not something that I felt comfortable with. And what's really interesting is actually the healthier I get, uh, mentally, the more I realize that the feeling of surrendering is actually really positive. Um, and I knew this academically, I knew this logically, uh, but for myself, it just took a little longer. So going in to get an IV of a drug that I have heard multiple stories about, both medicinally and recreationally, I felt a little scared. I was nervous, um, but I was so miserable <laughs> in my depression that, I didn't really care. I was like, you can give me anything. I, you say it's going to help. Here's my arm. 
So we walk up to this doctor's office. Um, the place that I went to is called New York Ketamine Infusions. It is downtown in New York, uh, somewhat near Wall Street. And we walk in, Ashley took me to my first one. And the very first appointment, you have an intake and then you have your first infusion. And the intake is like a comprehensive uh, life history around trauma, around family, around mental health, around your life, like literally everything you can jam into to an hour. And we walk in and I was expecting this like zen, modern, like mm, ketamine treatment looking place. And when I tell you it was the exact opposite of that, it's like an old Manhattan doctor's office, just plain yellow walls, bright fluorescent lights, you know, it's a doctor's office. And we do the intake. Um, He reflected some things to me that were really interesting. And then I went in for my first infusion. In the very first episode of this podcast, we talked about how to talk about sex and other mm, intense topics with your partner. And I mentioned working with a company that I love and have partnered with called Best Self Co. They're the company that I created the Intimacy After Dark deck with. Well, I love the team over there. And as a thank you for listening to this podcast, we are combining forces to give one lucky listener per episode a free Intimacy After Dark deck. What do you have to do to enter? Visit bestself.co slash Rachel. Plus, don't forget that they are offering all my listeners 30% off the new After Dark deck. Again, visit bestself.co and use promo code Rachel. So how it works is this clinic, every clinic is a little bit different. This clinic recommends six infusions, six sessions over 12 days. So you go every other day for 12 days for an infusion. And every time you go, they up the dosage a bit. And the hope is, and what the studies have shown is after those six, the symptoms generally go away. And then you need boosters for the following year to two, mostly closer to a year, but they're still in trials, so they're seeing. So I did that and I went on medical leave and my clients were incredible. They understood and uh, yeah, I just am very grateful for that. A couple of them saw uh, a therapist colleague of mine while I was out. It was an all hands on deck moment, moments. Uh, so the first infusion was, I think 30 milligrams and it was very light. It kind of felt, uh, you know, ketamine is an anesthetic. So it kind of felt like a little twilight, like I was going to get my wisdom teeth out or something. Uh, but like, kind of like I'd had a few martinis, but like not nauseous. They also, the two main side effects of ketamine are nausea and headache. So they give you anti-nausea and anti-headache. In this case, it was Zofran and Tordal. Um, so I was not nauseous and I did not get a headache because I had those medications in my system. And so each time you go, they up it. And now, oh, okay, well, let me rewind. So after the sixth infusion, I was like, I'm done, I'm cured, ah. And I wasn't. <laughs> I actually needed two more before I felt back to what I would consider to be my personal norm or normal. 
So I did that. And in eight sessions, I felt like myself again. And I mean, I was in therapy also in conjunction with this because, of course, not one thing is a silver bullet. It's really, really important to understand. But what the ketamine does is it helps regrow dendrites in your brain. And growing up, if you were someone that had a lot of cortisol, which is the stress hormone in your brain, those dendrites didn't get formed fully. And the anesthesiologist who runs this clinic was joking around uh, the first time I was there with Ashley, telling us that he calls their clinic a dendrite farm. And it's true. It's like you get this infusion and your brain literally changes structure. And it has changed the way that I interact with other drugs and medications. It has changed the way that I interact with the world. And so now... For the next year to two years, any time that I feel depressive symptoms come on, I go in for what's called a booster. They give me that booster, and 24 hours later, I'm myself again. And eventually what happens is the time in between the boosters continues to get longer and longer, and then eventually you don't have to come in anymore. So I... (laughs) I am so grateful for ketamine. It has also helped my anxiety and my panic disorder. I have only had a couple panic attacks since these ketamine treatments, and they were very situational and very much like me responding to something stressful. They were not out of the blue. They were not just, they didn't come on out of nowhere. So this has helped my brain feel stable, like really fucking stable. And I'm still taking the Wellbutrin, although my psychiatrist still thinks that it still has done nothing uh, because I am doing so well and the ketamine works so well. And I'm not having any side effects to Wellbutrin. Everybody has just decided like, let's just keep you on it. Everything is happy. Let's keep it happy. So it has now been a few weeks since my last infusion. And in a few more weeks, (laughs) you know, between four and eight weeks from now, I will have depressive symptoms again. And they will come on and I will call the clinic and I'll book a booster and I'll go in. And within 24 hours, I will be myself again. And then it will be even longer until the next booster. Now, I know that these treatments are not covered by insurance yet. Unfortunately, our medical system, our for-profit medical system is fucked up and it's not accessible to everybody. It's not. And many of these offices offer payment plans. They offer aid. They try to offer as many resources as possible to make this accessible because If someone is suicidal, if you are suicidal, if you or someone you love is experiencing symptoms of PTSD, of depression, of anxiety that are so debilitating that you don't have your life, what amount of money is worth having your life back? Right? And like, I wish that this was just free. 
I wish we lived in a world where our systems were set up to where we all got what we needed medically, right? This person needs a cast on their ankle. Cool. Give them a cast. This person needs this. And I'm not talking about like politics or systems right now. I'm just speaking in like in an ideal world. So if this speaks to you, look into it. I am not an expert. At the beginning of this episode, I said I'm speaking to you as a, as a person, as a peer in this episode. I am not speaking from the lens of a therapist. I'm not speaking from the lens of a health professional. I'm speaking from the lens of a patient. I'm Rachel Wright. I have depression. I have anxiety. And I got ketamine treatments. And they saved my life. That's all for today, you sexy folks. What questions came to mind as you were listening? Continue the conversation with me over on Instagram at the right underscore Rachel. And don't forget, please leave a rating and a review so that we can continue erasing shame and stigma together. <laughs>